you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11 uh, this morning. A um, couple of things I wanted to bring up real quick. Uh, number one, uh, 15 youth kids on Tuesday night last week. Isn't that awesome? 15, yeah. So we're going to do it again this coming Tuesday. Uh, 6.30. If you want to help uh, volunteer in any way, you can show up at 6. Um, that's what we're looking for, uh, is for people to, to step up and to minister to these, uh, to these youth. And so uh, if you're wondering what that looks like, you can talk to uh, Keith, Rachel, or Skylar, and they'll uh, give you more insight on what that means to uh, volunteer in the, the youth ministry here. Um, and then you, you know what else is on Tuesday? Um, don't tell him I told you this, but it's Ian's birthday on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, his wife's definitely a big fan, so that's good. <laughs> um, but then I think Thursday is Bob's birthday as well. Uh, okay, we got a fan of Bob in the house, okay. Um, you know what? There's so many birthdays in sep- September. I think Gloria's birthday is in September. We probably had another birthday that I'm forgetting, so I'm singling a lot of people out. And not in- I don't do that when you're public speaking because then you'll have people mad at you afterwards. So if it's your birthday in September, guess what? Happy birthday. <laughs> um, good stuff. So Ian uh, loves tortoises, in case you're wondering. Um, if you want to buy him another leopard tortoise, I'm sure his wife would appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. Um, hey, another kind of exciting thing that's uh, really the, the Lord is doing in this place. God is doing a lot of awesome things here. Um, it's just neat to, to see him show up the way that he's been showing up. Uh, but one of the areas that I want to point out real quick, the, areas that, uh, the area that he's showing up in, is our children's ministry. Um, now, uh, it's exciting to see adults get excited about Jesus. It's exciting to see young adults get excited about Jesus. But it's equally as exciting to see kids get excited about Jesus. Would you agree? Um, that classroom back there uh, is our next. They're, they're next. After we're gone, they're in, in charge. They're going to lead. And so uh, what we aspire to do is to give them Jesus to help them to, to be aware of his presence just as much as uh, I, I want us adults to be aware of his presence. But listen, kids are uh, important within the ministry here. And so one of the things we've been praying about for a while is uh, how, how do we organize children's ministry? What, what do we do to make sure we're leading it properly? And I, I really believe the Lord has um, open the door for us in, in this. Uh, we are looking for, a v- now hear me out when I say part-time, it's very part-time, very part-time uh, kids ministry director. Um, and so uh, if uh, you're like, man, I really want to, to help in this position or you've got a call to it, that's the first thing that we look for is you got to be called to it. You can't just take a position for the sake of taking a position. So anyways, um, there is that. If you want more information, you can come uh, talk to me afterwards or my, my wife. Um, also, another thing, um, if you signed up to volunteer uh, for a Harvest Fest, um, if you could do me a favor and uh, write your shirt size down next to your name. Uh, so after service, go ahead and, and do that. Um, I think that's all I got. So uh, if you're at Revelation, 
Go ahead and stand. We'll read the word of God together, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig in together. Starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And we come to a church like Smyrna and we see the tribulation or we hear about the tribulation that they experienced. We see the persecution, the slander, how they were poor, but really in you they were rich. And Lord, I just thank you that we have the book of Revelation. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts through your word this morning. Lord, whatever distractions we might have in our minds this morning, I pray that you would empty out, God, that you would just help us to tune in to what your spirit is saying to this church this morning. Lord, help us not to become distracted by the things of this world, but help us to focus in on you this morning. Jesus, we're coming back. This is time for your church to wake up, and I pray, God, that your church, this local congregation, God, would wake up, and we would return to our first love. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in our midst this morning through your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can all have a seat. So a little bit of a recap of the last time that we were in uh, Revelation. Uh, Revelation, uh, obviously, is somewhat of a daunting book to many people when they hear that a church is going through this, the book of Revelation. There's a lot of gasps in the room, like, oh my goodness, you're actually tackle." Yes, we are. We tackle every book in the Bible. Uh, there's no, uh, no, no, no reason to not. It's God's word. And so... Um, I want to remind you of this blessing um, because I think it's so easy to forget about it when we start uh, diving into the portion of scripture that we're, we're going to be looking at. But the blessing is, is this, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Remember, I get that blessing. I'm reading it aloud. But listen, you also get that blessing because you can go home and you can read it aloud as well. But there's a blessing also for those who hear. Uh, and you all in this room are hearing uh, the, the book of Revelation. But then there's a blessing for all of us in that verse as well, in who keep what is written in it. So it's not just enough for us to, to hear these words and to just accumulate all this knowledge. The call uh, when it comes to the book of Revelation is really to obey what we're being told. Um, keep can be translated as obey. And so a question I have for us this morning with what we've studied so far, how are we obeying the word of God or are we obeying the word of God or are we just coming to church, just soaking up a bunch of information from God's word? Listen, God's word is given to us so we can apply it to our lives. And so I would encourage you to do that. Don't just hear it, but do it. Obey the word of God. 
Why? Well, because he says in that verse, for the time is near. What, what time? The end. The end is near. Jesus says that there will be signs uh, of, of, of the times. Uh, it will be as uh, a woman who is in uh, labor pains. The, the pains will become so intense, and then you'll know that the time is near. And so the blessing is there for us, but uh, remember who the book of Revelation was written to? It was written to how many churches? Seven. Good job. And they were all located in the Asia Minor area. And John, I almost said Paul. I had to catch myself. It's not Paul. And remember, John is the author. John is exiled to Patmos, this little single little island, because they could not kill John. They tried boiling him in oil. That didn't work. So they thought the next best thing would be, let's just send him off to Patmos. And that didn't even work. Remember, we, we learned from tradition last, or not, the week before that um, he was actually carried in to the church in Ephesus and gave one last admonition to the church. Nothing could destroy this guy. Uh, the Lord was using this man in such a powerful way. Uh, and so John has this vision, right? He gets a vision of Jesus. And it's an epic vision. It's a vision uh, like no other. Uh, he sees Jesus. Look at how he describes Jesus in chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Whatever painting of Jesus you have in your house, take down, because that's the painting I want up in my house. His, head, his hair was white like wool, speaking of his purity. His eyes were like a flame of fire, speaking of his judgment. His feet were like burnished bronze, I mean, that is an incredible picture of Jesus. And John sees this vision of Jesus. And there's no other response than to worship Jesus. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. But I love what Jesus did, did next. He would place his right hand upon John and he would bring words of strength and encouragement and comfort. And he would ultimately say, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I hold and have the keys of death and Hades. And then Jesus instructs John to write down the key, really, to understanding Revelation. In John, chap John, <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, write therefore the things that you have seen. Remember the last time we were in the book of Revelation, I, I, I mentioned and made mention that this is a key verse to understanding the book of Revelation. If we don't understand this, the rest of the book of Revelation will be hard for us to understand. He says, write therefore the things that you, you have seen. And who did John see? He saw Jesus. So he wrote that. He wrote about how he saw the golden lampstands and the, the seven angels. And, and then he's instructed to write those that are, right? And so he's writing to these seven churches and, and Jesus, uh, meets with these seven churches, essentially. And then he will write those that are to take place. So the things that we should know are coming this way. And upon hearing Jesus' voice, he turns to see something different. 
right? So he hears the, a loud voice like a trumpet. A trumpet was used to get people's uh, attention. And so John's attention is turned in the direction that he's hearing this, uh, this voice. And in Revelation 12 and 16, it says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and his right hand uh, verse 16, he held seven stars. Now, this could have just been a secret to John. Like the, the, the verses we just read, it could have just stopped there. But I love how Jesus in his grace uh, uh, extends the next, an explanation of what John just saw. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there's no confusion there. Jesus is straightforward with what these things represent. And with that understanding of what these lampstands represented and what the seven angels of the seven churches, uh, excuse me, what the seven churches represented, we took a trip to the church of Ephesus. Uh, That last song we sung pretty much describes where Ephesus was in their spiritual state. They were full of good works. They were full of great service. They were full of standing against false teachers. But Jesus has this strong rebuke for this church. He says, I have this against you. And if you, if, if you hear that, if Jesus were to ever say, I have something against you, you'd better listen. He says, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. See, this church was really good at working very good at doing things. They were very good at, at their service, but all that amounted to nothing because they had left their first love. Listen, for anything we do for Jesus, it must come from a place of love for him and our neighbor. We can't just do works for the sake of doing works. And I know there's a lot of religions out there that believe that that's the only way to get into heaven. But according to scripture, the truth is, is that Jesus is the only way. No amount of works would ever suffice to find ourselves in heaven. See, this is a strong word for us as well. For if we knowingly leave our love for Jesus behind and we continue on with doing things, doing works, doing services, we become nothing more than what Paul describes as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, I do not believe it honors the Lord when a church departs from that essential commandment of loving God and loving people. See, the aim of the church is simple. I think it's us that make it very complicated. The aim of the church should be to love God and love people. But the aim of the individual should be the same. Our call is to love God and to love people. Remember what Jesus said, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is just as important to love your who? Neighbor. So Jesus calls him out. He says, listen, you've left your first love. You need to get back to being 100% devoted to me. 
And he could have stopped there. He could have said, listen, you're doing all this wrong, but what does Jesus do in his grace again? He gives them a remedy. He says, listen, uh, you're, you're, you're wayward, you're backslidden, you need to come back to me. And here's the remedy in verse five of chapter two. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember last week, remember, repent, repeat. Uh, Jesus is essentially saying, listen, this is how you're going to get back to loving me. And if the church did not repent, the church of Ephesus, the the consequences would be steep. Jesus says, if you don't repent, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent, repent, whatever that word means, Uh, Oh, you'll still be in existence. You may even be in a fancy building, but the name of your church will be changed from the church of Ephesus to the church of Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. The presence of God has departed. And Jesus' message to the church today is exactly the same message as it was to the church in Ephesus in their day. Get back to your first love. Stop replacing programs and production for God's presence. See, the desire for every church should be that the presence of Christ would rule and reign within every ministry that takes place within a church. But how often do we substitute the presence of God and the Spirit of God out of a certain ministry for something that will grab people's attention? Listen, if the presence of God is not grabbing your attention, you are spiritually asleep and you need to wake up. See, our desire is that the presence of Christ would be in our gatherings every week, from youth ministry to young adults, from the men's ministry to the women's ministry to Sunday mornings, even our board meetings and elders meet, elder meetings. Yes, we want the presence of God in those two places as well. We want every ministry that takes place here to be saturated with the presence of God. And so... The first church, the church of Ephesus, we got to take a tour of. Now the second church, in verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. Now the city of Smyrna was much like Ephesus in that it was a desirable city. Everybody wanted to live there. It was a harbor city. It was located by where, where ships would come in, and today... Uh, if you know your geography, it is known as Izmir uh, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, But it was a city that was full of temples dedicated to false gods. You had temples uh, erected for Aphrodite, Apollo, Artemis, Cybele, Dionysus, Taichi, Zeus. The city of Smyrna was infested. I'm glad somebody's excited about the Bible. That's awesome. (laughs) Or maybe she's excited about the city of Smyrna. I don't know. Um, (laughs) The city of Smyrna was infested with false gods. Uh, Everywhere you turn, much like Corinth, you remember how uh, paganized the city of Corinth was, so was Smyrna. But right in the middle of Smyrna was a church. A church. God knows what he's doing when he's placing churches within the cities. He knows that this dark and lost city needs to know the gospel. They need to understand the hope that is found in Christ. But Smyrna was uh, the center of learning and culture. It was a rich city and it was deeply committed 
to idolatry and the worship of the Roman emperor. Remember that crazy emperor we talked about a couple weeks ago named Domitian, the guy who wanted Paul dead because of the gospel that he was preaching? They worshipped this guy. While they held to uh, different beliefs in worshipping other false gods, uh, they were ultimately getting away from that. They would see the worship of false gods uh, die out, and they would turn their attention to the worship of the Roman emperor Domitian. At least at that time. He hated John. Uh, he had shipped him to Patmos, like we said, in hopes that he would die. Uh, he would die. And this is one of the city, the city of Samaria. Samaria. Samaria? We're not talking about Samaria. Smyrna. They worshipped this guy. He was the first one to demand worship under the title Lord. He had a big pride issue, a big ego trip. It was a popular city that was incredibly lost. But here's the call for Smyrna, and it's the call for you and I as well. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Listen, wherever God has called you as a follower of Christ this morning, remember this, you are called to shine in such a way that brings glory to God. I think everybody is always having, having this question in their mind, well, what's my purpose? I just read it. If you're a believer, your purpose is to shine your light so that uh, glory may be given to the Father. If you're wondering what your purpose is in life, it is exactly that. It's to be salty and it's to be light. You're called to shine, to expose the darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this church was right in the center of persecution. It, It was predominantly a city that worshipped idols and this church made it the church of Smyrna made it their stance to hold fast to Christ and the word of God and so Jesus meets them with a greeting that I believe ultimately brought great comfort to this group of believers in verse 8 it says the words of the first and the last who died and came to life now Uh, If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that all of the letter or the message to Smyrna is all in red because that's Jesus speaking. Jesus is addressing this church just like he addressed Ephesus, just like he'll address Pergamum and Thyatira, but there's something different about this. He says in his initial greeting, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. It's not a long salutation, not as long as the other salutations that he has, but it is suitable for what the Christian in that church is experiencing. The first and the last. Jesus introduced himself as this. You remember in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last. You see, only God could hold to this divinity. Before all things, after all things, he is saying, Jesus is essentially saying, I am God, I am divine. It points to Jesus' divinity. Essentially telling the church in Smyrna, who is in the thick of persecution, uh, this simple message through his salutation to the church, it could be translated this way, don't worry, I'm in control. Maybe some of us need to hear that this morning. Maybe some of you need to be reminded that Jesus is before all things. He's after all things. And if, if that's the case, then everything in the middle is in his control. And so what do we have to worry about? 
So he's the first and the last. He's the one who died and came back to life. Uh, Jesus tasted death, right? Now, uh, the, the, the heretical teachers such as Bethel will teach that Jesus actually went to hell. Jesus did not go to hell. Uh, Psalm says that you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Uh, Jesus tasted death, he suffered, he had the full wrath of God upon him, but he did not go to hell. But Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, when he suffered, he did not threaten. It, Jesus could have easily called down a legion of angels and just wiped everybody out and said, enough of this. But he didn't threaten he, he didn't take his powers that he could have easily taken control, control of at that moment and say, you know what, I'm tired of being uh, mocked, beaten, and scorned. I'm just going to end it right now. He could have easily done that, but he didn't. What did he do? It says he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus suffered under the hands of man-pleasing leaders who did not acknowledge the truth. Jesus suffered. It may be your suffering this morning. Maybe there's some sickness that, that has come up in your life or your family member's life, or maybe there's some financial crisis, or maybe, maybe you just are experiencing a season of suffering. It just seems like it's one thing after another. And maybe what you're going through is incredibly hard. Suffering is not easy. The thing that you could be going through, it keeps you up at night. It gives you anxiety. It causes you to be confronted with depression. Depression starts to loom over you. Can I give you some words of encouragement this morning? If you are in a season of suffering, learn from Jesus. Jesus made it his resolve to entrust himself to the Lord. In the face of whatever you're, you're going through, whatever suffering, whatever trial, whatever hardship, listen, make that your resolve to entrust your whole life, even the thing that's got you up at night, entrust it to a faithful creator, like Peter says. Not only did Jesus taste death, but he also tasted victory. Remember what happened after he died, right? They put him in a tomb. They put this big giant rock over thinking that that surely would keep him in. But you can't keep God in a tomb. It doesn't work. And so what happens? Uh, Jesus, uh, in the words of a kindergartner, got out of the tomb and said, surprise. But even though death came through the sin of humanity, right? Thanks a lot, Adam. Uh, Jesus triumphed over the grave. He triumphed over death by rising from the dead. Jesus tasted victory. Jesus is familiar with the highs and the lows of life. And I believe his introduction of who he is to the church in Smyrna brings great encouragement to them and to us because Jesus knows there will be suffering in this life. Your favorite verse, my favorite verse is John 16, where Jesus promised that we would have tribulation. It's your favorite, right? <laughs> but he incorporates something else. He says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome he has overcome. Listen, and because of your relationship with Christ, you can overcome. He also knows there will be great triumph for those who persevere till the end. 
I love verse nine, the, the two words in the beginning of verse nine. I mean, we could just camp out there and, and just talk about God's attributes for weeks upon weeks, but he, he simply says, I know. And it's not like a smart aleck, I know, you get from your kids, right? Not that you ever get that from your kids. Um, <laughs> but we could stop right here. We could stop here and camp out here. We could talk about how Jesus is omniscient and how he's all-knowing. Uh, this is one of the attributes of who he is, right? He knows all things. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing that surprises him. He knows all things. John 16, 30. Now we know that you know all things. We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus knows all things. And for the believers in Smyrna... There was nothing that was going to happen in the church or that was currently going on in the church that Jesus would not know about. That's why he starts out with saying, I know. I, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know the slander that you're receiving. Jesus knew these things that, that, that were taking place within the church. And other messages uh, from Jesus to the other churches, it says, Jesus Speaking, I know the works, right? I, I know the works that, that you're doing. Uh, but in this case, Jesus focuses on the spiritual well-being of the church. Despite the hardships, despite the persecution, despite the opposition. And for the believer today, can I encourage you with this? Jesus knows. He's not caught off guard with what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're going to go through. Nothing catches him by surprise. The persecution that they faced in Smyrna, he wasn't like, oh my goodness, I didn't see this one coming. Jesus knows. That's why he said, I know. He knows what you're going through. He knows that you're the only believer in your family and that you're constantly on Thanksgiving and Christmas standing up for, for the name of Jesus. He knows that you're the only believer in your class. He sees your stance for him there. Listen, he knows. Jesus knows. Psalm 139, verse one through two and verse four. Oh Lord, you have examined, examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Jesus knows. And to the church in Smyrna, he is specific about the things that he knows. I believe Jesus is ultimately encouraging this church in the face of what they're, in the face of what they're experiencing as they hold fast to Christ. So what's the first thing that Jesus knows? In verse nine, I know your tribulation. All right, if you got your Bibles out, you can already see that there's three things that Jesus says that he knows. He knows their tribulation. Jesus knew the distress they were in. And, and one might ask the question, if Jesus knew what they were gonna go through, why didn't he just put a stop to it? Why didn't he just say, you know what? I don't wanna see my bride go through this. I, I, I'm gonna just stop it. Why not just relieve them of their trouble? Uh, because persecution wasn't on their, the top of their list. They didn't say, sign me up for that. Uh, but I believe he lets them go through this persecution because Jesus knows that persecution never hurt the church. It only strengthened it. 
Look at the book of Acts. Persecution was happening left and right, and it didn't stifle the, the, the growth of the church. And I'm not talking about the local congregation, but the church as a whole. It didn't stop what God was doing. It, it, it actually increased it. Do you remember what Jesus said about persecution and the Beatitudes in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 10? It, it's not often a Beatitude that we hone in on all the time when we read it, but Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right? There's a blessing. Uh, translated, the word blessy, oh how, blessy, <laughs> oh how happy, right? Blessed is, oh how happy, or oh, oh how overjoyed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're persecuted, like the church of Smyrna was, may it be because you stand upon Christ and for Christ. I mentioned it last week, but I don't think our uh, Western church has the slightest clue of what persecution is. I don't think we fully understand the weight of what persecution is. I mean, for us, sometimes persecution is when we put a Bible verse on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, wherever and somebody unfriends us and, and we're persecuted. That's not persecution. That's sometimes called being a baby. Um, but, but persecution, we have to understand that there's more to it than just offending somebody. People are actually out to kill this church physically uh, look at what they did to john persecution wasn't just some uh thing somebody said uh oh i don't like how you talk about jesus no it was i'm coming after you because you're talking about jesus do you know what that's like do i know what that's like uh, we may not know what it's like now but let me let me tell you it is coming there will be a day where that persecution will come so he says, I know your, your tribulation. And he says, I know your poverty. Uh, in your Bibles, I, I don't know what translation you have, but in mine, in parentheses, it says, but you are rich. Right? I know your poverty, but you are rich. Uh, physically speaking, many of the church in Smyrna could have uh, been in the poorer class. Uh, and they would have not had much. And even what they did have was probably taken due to persecution. And so Jesus ultimately reminds them, listen, you may be physically poor, but you're actually rich. Because why? Because you know me. To know him is to be richer than the wealthiest person on earth. There's no need, or no need to have anything else when you have Jesus. If you have Christ, listen, you have all you need. Now, um, anybody have stuff? You got stuff, I got stuff, we all got stuff, all right? You got a car, I got one of those, you know, we all got watches probably, we all got, you know, we have our stuff, we like our stuff. Uh, it's not bad to have stuff, right? It's not, but it's when your stuff has you. Are, are, are you devoted to that car you drive? Uh, are you devoted to that cell phone in your pocket? Are you worshiping uh, Whatever you, you have, whatever stuff you have, are you worshiping? If you're worshiping your stuff, you are idol worshiping. Uh, but when you start idolizing that, uh, you'll, you'll see that you're not in a position where you realize that Jesus is all you need. That's why we accumulate stuff is because we're trying to fill a void. Listen, no amount of stuff will ever fill the void that you have. 
Only Jesus can fill that, that void. And I believe when the church, when the American church is finally persecuted, then we will finally understand that. When everything is stripped away, when everything is taken from us, when we're being mocked and scorned for the sake of standing for Christ, then we will understand that. But now we live too comfort, comfortably. We, we live in a very cushy place, uh, very comfortable. And, and my prayer when we went into COVID was that COVID would shake us up a little bit. It would rattle us a little bit. But I think the danger is going back to the same spot we were before COVID, being comfortable being okay with having stuff, not, not, not understanding what the Lord is wanting to teach us through that season. And now we find ourselves back in the same spot. Listen, stuff won't get you through tribulation. Stuff won't get you through fear. Stuff won't get you through the valley of the shadow of death. Only Jesus can see you through whatever you're going through. Your stuff cannot. So he says, I know your tribulation I know your poverty, but you're rich. In verse 9, he says, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. Listen how, to how strong Jesus' words are here describing this group of people. They're a synagogue of Satan. They're a meeting place for Satan. Uh, slander, let's start with slander, is blasphemy or malicious talk. Uh, the latter would be more appropriate. Uh, but this was a group of people who said they were Jews but Jesus ultimately called their bluff. He says, you're not Jews. You're, you're more so a meeting place for Satan. You have nothing to do with the Jewish culture or, or Jewish traditions or even holding fast to the Torah. What was happening here was that it was most likely the false Jews were taking false accusation of Christians before the pagan officials in the city. And guess who believed those false accusations? The pagan officials. They believed it because guess why? They didn't like Jesus either. Making unjust charges ultimately against this church was their MO. But here's a question for you this morning and a question for me is what do you do when someone slanders you or maliciously talks to others behind your back about you? What do you do? You put your... Your arms up, like, look, come on, bring it, just let's go. I, I can throw some words at you too. I, I'm sure we've been there before, hopefully in our BC days. Uh, but what do you do? Do you take matters into your own hands? Uh, where these people are making lies about you or where they're trying to ruin your character and integrity? Listen, I've been there. We've all been there. Where somebody is saying something behind your back because they don't like you one bit. And hopefully they, they are saying these things, hopefully, because remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Maybe somebody is persecuting you by ruining your reputation. And I honestly hope that is the case because it ultimately, you don't need to worry about it. Jesus said they hate you because they hate me. Maybe you are there this morning. Somebody is slandering you. Uh, there was a season of my life where I remember this exact same thing happening, where, where, where people would say these things that uh, were not true at all. And one of my go-to prayers, if you will, was this. It was, God, would you do the heavy lifting? 
Would you lift those things out that I have uh, no, no strength to lift out? Would you deal with these people that are maliciously uh, talking behind my back? Listen, the Lord knows how to deal with these people that are talking about you. He knows. He knows how to deal with them better than you do. Now, is there a time to defend your cause? I believe there can be times to do that. But it is only the Lord who can deal with the heart of someone who wants to ruin you. Leave it to him. Entrust your life to him. Let him do the heavy lifting. Your response to the situation of whatever slander is going on is your responsibility. Your response, my response. Listen, it's up to us. So respond in a way that brings glory to God. But another thing you can do is uh, don't take vengeance, right? It's easy for us to play to their level, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get back at them for what they did to me or what they said about me. Uh, that's when the flesh starts rearing its ugly head, and it, it never profits us anything. Instead of saying, well, you know what, I'm going to get them back, stand back and say, Lord, you deal with them. You handle them. You know them better than I do. You know where their hearts are at. You know why they're saying all these things about me. You deal with them. Romans twelve nine. it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So let God do the heavy lifting. Let him take vengeance. And then this one, keep in step with the Spirit. The minute you walk outside of walking with the Spirit of God, you will lean towards acting in the flesh. Anytime you operate out of the flesh, it produces that which saddens the heart of God. This is why it's better to let the Lord deal with the gossipers and the, the ones who spread rumors. And so Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, he says, listen, I, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know that, that they're slandering you. And he gives them this word of encouragement in verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. About. Jesus was pointing to the fact that they were about to enter a season of persecution. He was giving them a heads up. He was saying, listen, it's going to be tough. You're going to suffer, but in the midst of your suffering, do not fear. They would be uh, sentenced to extreme uh, amounts of persecution under the Roman Emperor Domitian all the way up till the Roman Emperor Constantine. But Lenski says this about... They're suffering. Uh, he's a commentator on Revelation. He says, It is easy to write about such matters while sitting in a pleasant study, surrounded by modern comforts and favorable circumstances of life, but it would be quite another thing to practice this admonition in the face of suffering and the threat of death. This was written to a church that was in the thick of persecution. And even I myself writing uh, this sermon out, uh, I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm not going to fear what I'm about to suffer. I have no idea the type of suffering that they went through. Persecution was at an all-time high, and Jesus was letting them know this. Listen, you're about to suffer, but do not be afraid. 
which are such comforting words to them and to us, even in the midst of our suffering or trials. Uh, now, Tyrone taught on Psalm uh, 23 last weekend, and I was, as I was rereading that, that psalm, as he was uh, sharing, my mind kept going to verse 4. It says, even though I walk, what's that next word? Through? Even when I walk through, circle that, highlight that word, underline it. The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But my mind just kept going to that one word, through. I don't think my mind had actually settled on that until that day, just looking at that one word. Because sometimes when we're going through our, our valley of the shadow of death, we're white-knuckling our, onto everything but Jesus, and we're asking the question, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. But your promise is right there. Even when I walk through. Listen, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, you are going to make it through whatever valley of shadow of death you are in. Why? Because guess who's with you? It says, for you, David praying ultimately, he's saying, for you, God, are with me. You're going to make it through. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Uh, when we, you gave your life to Christ, there was no guarantee from Jesus that everything would be rainbows and unicorns now, right? I'm not even sure what's so great about rainbows and unicorns, but there was no guarantee. It, it, it was the guarantee of that you're going to suffer. You're going to go through hard times, and we need suffering. And some of you, upon hearing that, you're like, don't tell me that. Don't tell me I need to suffer. Don't tell me I need to go through hard times or trials or adversity. Listen, suffering produces within us what easy living cannot. If you want maturity and depth in Christ, you're going to go through suffering. We need to go through the valley at times for these reasons, to strengthen our trust in the Lord. Because let's face it, it's easy to trust in the Lord when everything's rainbows and unicorns, right? <laughs> It's easy to trust in him when things are going our way. But we also need to go through these valleys to see that the valley we may be going through, listen, we're going to make it. You're going to make it through. We also need suffering to understand that we have nothing to fear because the Lord is with us. And this is the promise for the believer. It's the promise for the one who has entrusted their souls unto Christ, who said, I have nowhere else to go but Jesus. That is a promise for the one who has put their faith in Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, I hate to break it to you, but your valley of the shadow of death that you're walking through today is yours to figure out. But listen, if you are a follower of Christ, the promise is this, you're going to get through the valley of the shadow of death. Why does God allow suffering? I know it's a question that kind of sits above us all the time. We always ask the question, why does God allow hard things? Or why does God allow me to go through this? Or, uh, it's, it's a question that God is not afraid of at all. I'm not sure if you've heard it said before, but you should never ask God why he allows something. You can ask him. He's God. He, he's, he can handle it. And some of the questions you may have had in, in your life as a believer is, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? 
Why is, is this happening to me? I believe there are many reasons why God allows suffering, but they're all to produce something within us. God does not waste the suffering that we go through. He does not waste the adversity that we go through. Number one is God allows suffering to purify. First Peter 1, 6 through 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when we go through suffering, it's because God is trying to pull something out of us that doesn't belong. Oftentimes we go through suffering because there's some purifying work that God needs to do within us. We have some sin in our life. We have something that is is going on in our life that is allowing these outside sources to come in and ruin our relationship with the Lord. And and God is saying, listen, I'm going to use this suffering that you are going through to pull those things out, to purify you. And we hate that because associated with purifying is pain. Because sometimes when we go through trials, it's painful. We don't like it. We, we, we don't want to feel the pain of it. But I believe, uh, like C.S. Lewis said, that God speaks the loudest to us through the pain that we experience. But I believe he also allows suffering to make us more like Jesus. Romans eight sixteen through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, he says, with this exception, that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Listen, we go through suffering uh, so we can be more like Jesus. We see how Jesus suffered through the gospels. We see how Jesus uh, entrusted his life to the Father Listen, it's sometimes in those moments where God honors that prayer, God, make me more like Jesus. It's sometimes in the seasons of struggle. It's sometimes in the seasons of adversity where we find ourselves becoming more like Jesus. I believe also that he allows suffering to truly make us witnesses for him. Uh, Sometimes when you're going through a trying time or a a season of suffering, your witness for him and who he is is at its all-time peak because people are watching you. They know what you're experiencing. They know the pain. They know the struggle. They see and they want to know, how is this person going to handle what they're going through? Either you bring glory to God or you bring shame and dishonor by the way you handle it. I believe there's at least these three to start out with, but I believe God allows suffering to purify, to make us like Jesus and to truly make us witnesses for him. Listen to this. God never permits his saints to suffer without a cause. There's a reason to why you are going through what you're going through. God's going to use it. There's no reason. uh, There's, God is going to use it. Just trust him with that. God knows what he's doing. In verse 10, as we get to a close, it says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison 
That sounds fun. Uh, That you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. How would you respond to Jesus' letter if you read that the devil's about to throw you into prison? That would not be very inviting. You'd be screaming or running or hiding. Or I know I would not really enjoy reading that, but uh, there's a reason behind it, right? Now imagine if Jesus just wrote, the devil's about to throw you, some of you into prison. That's it. That would probably be the most discouraging verse in the whole Bible. <laughs> but he says that you may be tested. Right, So uh, the devil's about to throw some of them into prison. Jesus is saying uh, that some of the church in Smyrna is going to experience being, being thrown into prison. And trust me, like our prison system today, it was not anything like it was then. Prison in their days was, a place, was not a place of rehabilitation or used to punish someone. Prison in their day was a place to hold people before they were tried or executed for whatever they had done. What would, or excuse me, who would be doing the persecuting? The devil. Now listen, the devil is the initiator of persecution, but God uses the persecution in our lives to bring others to faith in him. Now he says, the reason is, is because that you're going to be tested. Uh, my, my pastor uh, has always said this, that a faith, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Our faith will be tested, and if your faith can be tested, it can be trusted. Be- not because of your faith, but because of where your faith is is at and who it's in the question is for us if you were faced with persecution and someone told you to renounce your faith would you or would you hold fast to christ many of us immediately in our minds we're like yes I, i i i believe in jesus i would never renounce our faith but really think about it would you or wouldn't you Would you be so bold as to declare that Jesus is Lord in the face of persecution? And Jesus says that it's only going to happen for 10 days, this tribulation. He says for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Uh, I would love if the Lord told us how long our trials and struggles and tribulations would be. Uh, But for this church in specific, he says for 10 days you will have tribulation. And there's a ton of debate on this, on on what it could mean. It it could mean that Jesus really meant 10 years of persecution. Big difference between days and years. Uh, It could have meant that uh, Jesus was ultimately referring referring to how they would have persecution under 10 different Roman emperors. It could have been an expression of speech. Whatever it was, Jesus meant what he said and said what he meant. Jesus said that they would have tribulation for 10 days. Guess what? They would have tribulation for 10 days. All would eventually end up going through suffering and persecution. And then Jesus talks about the crown of life. Um, Now, throughout scripture, you'll see diadems and crowns. Diadems were given to those who uh, were of royalty, 
who uh, were of high status, but crowns were given to those who persevered through something. Uh, you remember in 1 Corinthians how we talked about the Isthmus games where they would receive a crown of uh, a wreath around their head, ultimately saying that they endured the training, endured the, the physical activity of running the race. Uh, Jesus is saying here, I'm going to give you the crown of life if you conquer. For those who overcome, for those who conquer... In James 1.12, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And maybe you're suffering through something right now. Maybe you're going through something hard right now. Listen, my biggest encouragement to you this morning is stay the course, be faithful, and look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. Now, verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, So for the last four weeks, I was having extreme difficulty hearing out of my left ear. Uh, I I could not hear anything. Uh, One of my friends would come up and snap his finger, and I couldn't even hear that. And so uh, I put it off for four weeks because that's what guys do. We don't go to the doctors. Um, so I finally decided, you know, I should probably go get it checked out. And has anyone had their ears flushed out before? Let me tell you, it, <laughs> it was great. U- ultimately, it was to get whatever was causing any blockage out. Now you're thinking, man, he's probably got ears full of wax and that's just, no, it wasn't that. Okay, anyways. But they cleaned out all the gunk, all the junk, all the blockage, all, everything that was causing, uh, causing the, uh, my, my left ear to not be able to, to hear anything. Here's my question for you. Because remember, in every single one of these closing, uh, in, in Jesus' closing to the churches, he says the same thing. He says, he who has a what? ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches right that's what he says to all the churches and it's not just church it's churches so actually Jesus's call for us to listen up it extends to us Jesus is saying listen everything that I told you and I'm about to tell you listen up but we cannot listen to what the spirit of God is saying to the church if we have all this gunk piled up in our lives Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's materialism, maybe it's pride, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's gossip, maybe you've got something that is blocking your ability to hear what the Spirit is saying to you. Whatever it is that is causing you to not be able to hear from the Lord, ask the Lord to flush out the gunk. Ask Him to just give you an ear, spiritual ear cleansing, if you will. But I love this last part. The one who conquers won't be hurt by the second death. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering what the second death is. The second death, to sum it up, is hell and death. In Revelation 20, verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
Jesus says, the one who conquers, the one who holds fast unto me, will not be hurt by the second death. So my question for you this morning is, where is your faith? Are you holding on to Christ this morning? Are you, are you sure that when you die, if you were to die after this service or after uh, the, the next day, are you sure that when you die, you would be going to heaven? Jesus called out a church who they thought they had all their ducks in a row. They had all their work sorted out. But he says, you're missing this one part. You're forgetting to love me. And so have you placed your faith in the everlasting, eternal God? Are you falling in love with Jesus daily? Uh, I want to close with this story. Ian, you can come up. Uh, it's about a guy from history named Polycarp. How would that be for a name? That's awesome. Polycarp. Uh, the year after Polycarp returned from Rome, a great persecution came upon the Christians of Smyrna. His congregation urged him to leave the city until the threat blew over. So believing that God wanted him to be around a few more years, Polycarp left the city and hid out on a farm belonging to some Christian friends. One day on the farm, as he prayed in his room, Polycarp had a vision of his pillow engulfed in flames. He knew what God said to him and calmly told his companions, I see that I must be burnt at the stake. Meanwhile, the chief of police, police issued a warrant for his arrest. They seized one of Polycarp's servants and tortured him until he told them where his master was. Towards evening, the police chief and a band of soldiers came to the old farmhouse. When the soldiers found him, they were embarrassed to see that they had come to arrest such an old, frail man. And they reluctantly put him on a donkey and walked him back to the city of Smyrna. On the way to the city, the chief police and the other government officials tried to persuade Polycarp to offer a pinch of incense before a statue of Caesar and simply say, Caesar is Lord. That's all he had to do and he would be off the hook. They pleaded with him to do it and escape the dreadful penalties. And at first, Polycarp was silent, but then he calmly gave them his firm answer, no. The police chief was now angry and annoyed with the old man. He pushed him out of his carriage and onto the hard ground. Polycarp, bruised but resolute, got up and walked the rest of the way to the, to the arena. The horrid games at the arena had already begun in earnest and a large bloodthirsty mob gathered to see Christians tortured and killed. One Christian named Quintus boldly proclaimed himself a follower of Jesus and said he was willing to be martyred, but when he saw the vicious animals in the arena, he lost courage and agreed to burn the pinch of incense to Caesar as Lord. Another young man named Germanicus didn't back down. He marched out and faced the lions and died an agonizing death for his Lord Jesus. Ten other Christians gave their lives that day, but the mob was unsatisfied. They cried out, away with the atheists who do not worship our gods. To them, Christians were atheists because they did not recognize the traditional gods of Rome and Greece. And finally, the crowd started chanting, bring out Polycarp. When Polycarp brought his tired body into the arena, 
he and the other Christians heard a voice from heaven. It said, be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. As he stood before the proconsul, they tried one more time to get him to renounce Jesus. The proconsul told Polycarp to agree with the crowd and shout out, away with the atheists. But Polycarp looked sternly at the bloodthirsty mob, waved his hand towards them and said, away with these atheists. The proconsul persisted, take the oath and revile Christ and I'll set you free. But Polycarp answered, for 86 years I have served Jesus. How dare I now revile my king? The proconsul finally gave up and announced to the crowd the crime of the accused. Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. The crowd shouted, let the lions loose, but the animals had already been put away. The crowd then demanded that Polycarp be burnt. And the old man remembered the dream about the burning pillow and took courage in God. He said to his executioners, it is well. I fear not the fire that burns for a season and after a while is quenched. Why do you delay? Come do your will. And so they arranged a great pile of wood and set up a pole in the middle of the arena. As they tied Polycarp to the pole, pole, he prayed, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour that I may receive a portion in the number of the martyrs, in the cup of your Christ. And after he had prayed, he gave thanks to God and they set the wood ablaze. But a great wall of flame shot up to the sky, but it never touched Polycarp. God set a hedge of protection between him and the fire. And seeing that he would not burn, the executioner in a furious rage stabbed the old man with a long spear. And immediately streams of blood gushed from his body and seemed to extinguish the fire. And when this happened, witnesses said they saw a dove fly up from the smoke into heaven. And at that very same moment, a church leader in Rome named Irenaeus said he heard God say to him, Polycarp is dead. God called his servant home. So what will you do in the face of persecution? So we have to understand it's coming. Will we stand like Polycarp? And, and for us, uh, will we hear from heaven, be strong, Polycarp, play the man? Or we, will we cower it away? Will we renounce our faith? Will we pinch or put a pinch of incense for the Caesars of our day? What will we do? What will you do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For your word, thank you that as we listen to your word, God, it always does that which you set it out to accomplish. Maybe some of us in this room this morning were once serious in our walks with you, and maybe we've gone wayward, or maybe we've backslidden, or maybe we've we've just renounced our faith, Lord. God, I pray that you would call them back home. That they would recognize that there's only one way to have 
the assurance of their sins forgiven, to know that when they die, they'll go to heaven, and that one way is Jesus. I pray that you would call them back home, God. Maybe there's prodigals in this room this morning or watching on the live stream, Lord, and they're, they're listening to what the Spirit is saying to them, Lord. I pray that they would act on the prompting, that they would move, that they would respond to you and say, Lord, I'm, I need you. And for those of us that are walking with you, Lord, continue, please, to give us courage and boldness. Help us not to be afraid when it comes to sharing the gospel, but help us to be bold and courageous, knowing that it's your word that has power to change lives and to save lives. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just continue to minister to our hearts. God, help us to stay in tune with you. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're going through a struggle, maybe you're going through a hard season, maybe you're going through a trial. I just want you to pop your head up and I, I want to pray over you. Just pop your hand up and put it down real quick. We're all going through something. Lord, I pray for these that, that you've seen. God, you know what they're going through. Lord, some of, our, some of them are experiencing the consequences of what others decided to do, or maybe they're going through the, the suffering of not knowing what's, what's gonna happen to, to them in this next season. Lord, I, I don't know what it is, but God, you know exactly the season that they're in, Lord, and I pray that you would give them strength and courage and that they, they would make it their resolve to keep their eyes upon you, knowing that you are the author and finisher of their faith. Jesus, may they white knuckle onto you, Lord. May they hold fast to you. God, I pray that you would just guard their minds from the attacks of the enemy. Lord, that they would be steadfast and immovable because of who they're standing upon. Help them to keep their eyes on you. Lord, we thank you for what you're gonna do in our lives. Use us for your glory. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.